Cool. So welcome to the Idea Market Podcast. We are joined once again by Mike Elias, CEO of Idea Market, and we're also joined by Grant Dever, who is the author of Lead the Future and Seeking Tribe. Now, you sent me quite a few things we could discuss, Grant, but um, we will get to them. I've got them all listed here. But we always open up the conversation with a question, which is sort of like our who are you question, which is if you were to develop a boot camp course, the purpose of which is that at the end, everyone is basically a clone of you. What would that boot camp look like? Um, I think my boot camp course would have to be on community leadership. I mean, that's, uh, you know, something I've been kind of working on on the side. Haven't spent as much time as I initially plan to like I have a little uh you know email based course that I'm kind of working on uh with the goal in the future to have a cohort based course on this um but essentially yeah if I was just 100% committed to a boot camp going to execute one it would be on community leadership partially just because I think um you know this is really buzzing online as a topic community is kind of a, a buzzword um although I I think it is very powerful and and important um but at the same time I think especially after the last two years or so, rebuilding community kind of one person at a time, one barbecue at a time um, in the real world is just of you know vital importance. So, cool. okay, okay. Is it, could you see any specific content? Is there any text or maybe talks that you would have to definitely be in there that that have been real sort of uh, signposts for you on this this journey into like sort of online communication? Yeah, um, I would say that one of the things um, I actually have been very influenced in this direction and just a lot of directions by the work of uh, Nicholas Nassim Taleb um, and kind of this idea of um, bottom up, you know, complex systems and all of that. So I think I think I would probably not start with I'd probably start with something a bit more actionable that kind of just like, OK, you know, you, you opted into this class for a reason. You want to create um, some kind of space for. People like you, you want certain institutions or certain organizations, events to exist in your local community. That's great. I'm going to give you some actionable ways to do that. But at some point, I think unpacking some of this theory um, and and showing examples of what is kind of possible in this bottom up way. And, and you know, I think right now um, there's just so much exciting stuff going on um, in the Internet broadly, Web3. Um, that's going to enable all kinds of interesting coordination. And I think, uh, you know, it's, it's a meme to be like, oh, we're early, but I think we're so early, even in the internet, it's the internet is a baby. Um, and you know, we're, we're going to keep saying that and it's going to continue to be true, I think. So we're never, we're never, you're going to say we're never not going to be early. Uh, at some point, maybe we'll be <laughs> less early, but, um, but for, you know, for, at that point, I probably won't be memeing as hard. You know, I'll be an offline grill dad or something. Um, <laughs> it's really cool that you mentioned Taleb was an influence on you because he was tangentially a big influence on idea market as well. And I'm really curious to hear how his thought influenced your approach to community building because I've never, you know, considered it from that angle. So I think in general, um, so reading Taleb for me was definitely like a, a sea change or, you know, a paradigm shift. Um, I mean, I've always been kind of, uh, you know, punk rock, decentralized, you know, like not really in favor of a lot of these systems um, for a while, but I'm, I'm very compassionate individual. So, you know, some of the, the rhetoric, you know, especially in like 2015, 2016, like, you know, in the, the America is like a weird 
place to like policy wise. Like I'm very interested in policies and like, I think everyone should have healthcare. Like, I think that's important. So I think I, I was kind of, um, you know, a bit of a centralista. And when Trump won, I was like very demoralized. Um, and especially in the context, not of Hillary Clinton being president, I really didn't care for her either. Um, but in the context of like Bernie would have won, blah, 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 you know, it's very much where I was. Um, you know, he, he's still better than, than a lot of them. But essentially, I was like, just shocked. I mean, a lot of other stuff had kind of gone through. I was, you know, it was a weird time. I just left college or all my friends had left me at least. Um, and I was uh, trying to process what had happened. And then I read Taleb. I'd been reading his Twitter for a while, but I finally like sat down and read The Black Swan. And I think it was just really helpful for me to kind of be like, oh, you can't really predict the future, these systems that are projections about, oh, it'll cost this much and it'll have this outcome, like that's all kind of fake. Um, you know, like really we need um, more of a systems level approach where we're like, okay, how do we get the incentives right? How do we make sure that there's that skin in the game or that like, you know, systems, um, you know, understanding whereby, okay, if things are working, a bit more of that. If, you know, things are corrupted and failing, um, they can fail. And it really just kind of gave me this more decentralized kind of framework for solving problems. And I, and, you know, once you kind of see that and you're like, oh, I'm skeptical of these systems and whether or not they can actually achieve what they're doing. One, it kind of like rehabilitated me in some ways because I was like, oh, what was lost was maybe not exactly what I thought it was. Um, and then on the other side of that, um, it, you know, gave me hope for like new ways of building. Um, and, and solving problems, especially, you know, bottom-up systems. And I, and I think the internet, um, you know, is a great tool for that. And it's like the solution space is, is, as I think we're kind of all living in right now, has like traditionally been like unex or underexplored. Um, you know, you have people being like, oh, here's this problem. I'm going to like meme you into caring a lot about it. And then you're going to send me money. And then, you know, some people are going to go solve it in a very like top-down way. Um, and, you know, there's many different ways in which we could like solve some of these problems without like either, you know, either just directly solving them or um, or build or um, coordinating in, in more accountable ways than just paying someone to go lobby the government to maybe something happens. Yeah, 100 percent. And um, it's it's really refreshing that Taleb not only is nailing this problem, but that he's. Uh, achieved a high status in doing it. Like the, the, the Venn diagram between really important information and high status people is really quite slim. And so uh, that's that's been great. And I'm wondering um, how how do you apply these principles in building communities? So I think I think one is just kind of in the high high level, like believing. Okay, we want to. Um, you know, build up, uh, take a very bottom up approach to solving this. So like kind of like what ends we're working towards and like how we're going to build to like rule out certain strategies or certain ends. If you kind of buy the Telebian thesis, you know, so like I'm not like, oh, you know, uh, you know, maybe in certain cases, but like by and large, I'm, I'm not like, OK, like, you know, let's go lobby the federal government or like the best move that we can make is to focus on um a presidential candidate or a Senate candidate and that they'll actually affect change. Maybe from like a mimetic standpoint, it is still valuable to like back certain people and their ideas. Um, but, but, you know, instead, um, I, I, I very much am into 
just the localist philosophy in general, and I think it's helpful for reorienting people. I think that's that's the other piece of this. Um, it's more at the individual level. So instead of being like, oh, let me get overwhelmed by these grand problems and, you know, oh, uh, you know, it's all on someone else, like whether or not they can do this. I like all I can do is choose a champion to like advocate for me instead kind of taking this position that's more like, OK, like what can I do? What can I influence? How can I orient myself in the world in a way um, that will kind of, you know, uh, uh, what is the book? Uh, the Seven Habits for Highly Successful People. He kind of has this model um, that's like your circle of responsibility versus your circle of um, influence or something like that. And it, it's like you, you, you want to like the more influence and power you have, um, the more responsibility you should take on. But if you have a mismatch kind of between those things, so if you're really powerful and you're not doing anything, you're kind of a loser. Um, but like if you're... Uh, you know, but if but if you're obsessed with things that are way beyond your control and you're not actually advancing towards doing anything about it, then you're just kind of like, you know, I don't think you're I, I think you're going to be overwhelmed. You're not going to be successful. You're not going to be effective at actually alleviating that change. So I think trying to figure out a pathway where you um, are setting yourself up where it's like, OK, you know, oh, we're like my team is like losing this battle right now um, for the future. We're not like moving towards where, where I want to be. Um, it's actually not my fight. Like there's someone else who should be me, like 30 years, you know, 30 years older, wiser, stronger, you know, more powerful, um, who should be, who, who should be fighting this battle or is fighting this battle. And like, maybe they're the one, maybe they got sidetracked, you know, maybe they got caught up in something where they were not building their influence. They didn't have this model. They ended up really depressed, addicted to drugs, like not advancing our cause. And that's why we don't have a good champion today. And, you know, instead, I want to know, like, what my influence is. I want to build my, like, I, I, I want to be that person. I want to solve these problems. But I need to understand where I am today and figure out a pathway forward. So I think this kind of, like, you know, starting with uh, kind of local ownership and then having this view that, like, things can cascade out and be um, very powerful as opposed to being focused on, like, the one champion right now. Yeah, I like that a lot, and especially, like, the idea of, kind of having to get the pressure right. Like if you're if you're a small guy in a big room, you can't do a whole lot. And if you're a big guy in a small room, you also can't do a whole lot. So you kind of have to find the right relationship. Um, I think that's a really cool and appropriate way of, uh, of feeling it out. Yeah, I like that. And those, and those may change very drastically yeah. and very quickly. You know, so like there are people who are really young and have a ton of influence and like essentially, you know, who weren't before. And it's like, okay, you got to level up your responsibility like really quickly. Um, right. You know, so you have to understand, like, it's a dynamic system and you have to understand where you are. Um, and likewise, there's probably people who, like, fall from grace, you know, and, like, lose their influence and, like, have to reorient in the same way. But I think that that model was kind of helpful for me. And it, it, ca it came out of at least, like, the problems I was dealing with and trying to, like, reorient myself around. And just reading to lab at that time was very influential. Are there any communities that you feel strike this balance well or any approaches that you think, oh, wow, like they're really kind of nailing this principle? Um, are there any communities that you admire or feel are nailing this principle of balancing responsibility with influence well? Like, are there any, you know, crypto communities or other communities that you've seen are taking an approach that you feel is, is working well or that you admire or would like to emulate? Just kind of wondering, what does a good community 
look like through through your eyes? Yeah, I, I so I view this in like a very broad kind of way in that um, you know I think a lot of like a lot of these things turn into more formal organizations, and I think that that's like part of um, some of the su- the success of these things. So um, I don't know that I have like what I see. I see more like communities that I think could could do more or like be more successful um, or 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 um, more clearly define a purpose and find greater engagement. Like that's more of what I see um, than than things like because I think if they're if they're going well, I just I don't view it. Um, I think I just view it as, as, as something else almost. I don't know. I, it's it's kind of it's a really good question. Um, because because I, I like I see like I'm a part of communities that um are doing some cool things and it's interesting to see uh them get together and like what they are able to accomplish. But I kind of just see the ways in which I think things could be um people could be more engaged or there could be a more defined purpose or, or like all the kind of like untapped talent. Like for example, I'm, I'm in a bunch of these like Twitter communities and we've been friends for, you know, years. And, you know, for most of them, like as far, the farthest we've kind of gotten is just like a meetup where we like actually hung out in person one time um, when really there is like so much more potential, especially if someone did have like, you know, okay, we're aligned on these values um, here's a vision that I have that, like, based on my understanding of the community, I think we'd all be in out on about, and like, let's actually organize and kind of take this to the next level, doing something cool. Um, it's kind of a meme, and I don't know, like, you know, zeitgeist, and I don't know where this is going to go. Um, so, not an endorsement, don't own any. But like, the Constitution DAO thing is like actually very cool, um, and I think this is kind of an example. So, for those who don't know, essentially, uh, there is between like. 11 or 12 copies of the constitution that were like initially um, sent out that are still remaining. And I think most of them uh, are all in private collections. One of them is about to go on auction on Thursday. And basically these people coordinated to create a DAO, essentially just a fundraising mechanism and tool um, to, to try to aggregate like $20 million to like purchase this constitution. Um, and you know, that, like something that's going right there. So one, it's engaging people in this way where they feel like they have ownership. It's very clear how they can contribute. Um, something's a little differentiated. There is like a core team. There is currently like kind of, um, you know, a hierarchy or like people actually with defined responsibilities who need to execute X, Y, Z, very short time horizon. Um, and I'll see kind of where they go with it. But I think like things either tend to not get enough structure um, to actually be effective, or they end up diluting kind of power and responsibility too much, where they're also not effective. Um, you know, so as a part of a DAO that um, you know didn't uh, that like it was like hyper democratic, and everyone had to vote on everything and to get anything done, um, you had to like get some like you had to get like pass a vote and like get it green greenlit, and you just move too slow and you can't compete with like more traditional organizations. So I think there's there's always a piece here where you want to strike a balance where you're like inclusive, there's there's ways for people to join in, people can can gain um, ownership, but you don't want to be like so radically kind of like free flowing that nothing ever happens. And what actually happens is you just demotivate everyone because like people are there, like people didn't join your thing because they didn't want to do anything or they didn't join your thing so that you could just give them updates by and large. 
people want to contribute in some way and you have to figure out a way to engage them. Um, and usually that does involve like there's someone who's holding people accountable and, you know, oh, you didn't get your thing done. Well, sorry, you're not responsible for that anymore. Someone else is responsible for that because like we're here for a mission. And like I know everyone's got a bunch of stuff going on, but like we needed X, Y or Z done and you didn't get it done. So that's no longer your responsibility. Um, so so I, I, I maybe I just see more of the problems like I want to kind of help solve those things. And when and when they're working well, um, either I'm just not involved with them, so I don't have that intimate knowledge or um, or I, I just view them as, as, you know, a project or a venture that's successful. Cool. Yeah, and that kind of makes sense. And it sort of fits with the mysterious kind of air around community. Like you mentioned, it's a, it's a buzzword. It's a buzzword for a reason. Like there is a ton of value there. But what's interesting about it, or one of the things that's interesting about it to me is it's not obvious what constitutes a great community. You can tell when it's working, but you can't necessarily tell why. And when things aren't working, you can often tell why. And uh, I've, you know, been talking to a lot of investors for Idea Market, and there's even among the, you know, investor uh, cohort this sense that vibes are really important. That there's a very like non-physical, non-linear, non-metrical kind of sense of success. And to like nerdy tech people who are used to having things in a very low context. Here's the information. Here's the data. Here's the metrics. Here's the milestones. Here's the trajectory kind of way. Um, such things are just kind of mystical and crazy. So I'm very interested in, you know, any, um, insights you may have to, you know, make those concepts more tangible if that's at all possible. Because I, I hear the word community. I understand what success looks like, just like everyone. Um, but it's, it's, it's just a mysterious, like, yeah, we need a working community, and that's about all the information I have on the topic. You know? yeah, my, my, I think I a lot of people feel that way. I just want to jump in before Grant yeah. says something. No, because, uh, I, like, I feel this way as well. That's one of the big problems of building, like you said, about building a community. A lot of people always say, like, don't fix what isn't broken. And it's like, yeah, that's fine, but you don't even know what the thing is. Like, no one's got a clue what the thing is. So sometimes that, that breaking, you go, oh, that's why it was really good, because we were doing that. But it's never anything. I think all the things that uh, sort of built the communities that I was that was in, I don't know, years ago. I'm specifically thinking sometimes of gaming communities or MMOs or like online communities. All those things generally came about organically and weren't built in. And those are the things like it's like organic versus artificial. And like it, artificial just always destroys the organic. You can't like these things are slowly built with real nuance to them and artificial like building just sometimes doesn't grasp that. So that's just my, my two cents. So when people say like, don't fix it, it isn't broken. It's like, yeah, but you didn't, you didn't know what the thing is. So like, don't be making, just leave it, just leave it be. Right. And, and I think, I think there's like, there's definitely a point there where, um, uh, like how robust these things are is also like an important dynamic. So like, you know, maybe, okay, once they buy the constitution, like maybe no one cares anymore. You know, or something like that. Like, what are you organizing around? Like, what is this thing? Like, to your point, like, people don't know. Um, and I think these things can, like, cascade and fall off pretty pretty quick. Um, and the other thing is, like, with any type of, like, organization or small-scale organization, it's like, okay, um, how are you bringing, like, you know, life happens to people. They stop participating. Okay, how are you bringing in new people? 
are you building in the people, are you bringing in the people that you want? Um, how are you enculturating them into your community or organization? Are there any rituals around that? Is there anything that signifies like, oh, this was a transition, now I'm a member? Um, uh, do you, are you building that capacity? So like, you know, it's very easy, like, okay, you have one person, they have great vibes, they're, you know, doing all these little things that are undocumented, you don't even know they're happening, like they're, you know, retweeting these people or replying to their things, they're slipping in their DMs, they, you know, do, do the odd call or like they notice when someone's like upset and they like follow up, you know, there's all these like little things that go into like maintaining any type of like small group or organization. And if there's no interest in like what is happening there, who is who is making this stuff happen, what is the magic behind this, then um, there's no way for you to try to like make sure that it's sustainable and that it continues over time. And it's easy to have like a, a champion, you know, who goes on and like does all these things and then it's like, okay, well, you know, they they lost their job and now they don't have like 20 hours a week to spend their like nights and weekends doing this stuff because they have to like figure all that out and their patterns get disrupted and then, okay, oh, so this thing's not the same anymore. People start dropping off, it cascades. Okay, the thing you thought you had doesn't exist. Um, you know, so I, I think there's there's a lot of pieces in there. What what is involved is is difficult, but like, you know, what that might look like from, um, you know, and and I use the term like leader in the most broad sense because I don't, I don't think it is about a hierarchy. I think it is about um, having an understanding of your relationships with others and how they're important for you to achieve a vision and build consensus around that vision to turn into a reality. So, you know, what that might be is like, okay, someone new joins your organization. They're super enthusiastic. You know, that's why they're there. You know, you reach out to them. You have a phone call with them to like, welcome them and they're like oh this is so cool i'm so glad to be a part of this and it's like okay you have this excited person how are you channeling that energy what are they doing what are you doing with it um and if you don't have an answer to that you got to figure that out really quick because otherwise people join they're kind of being oriented in this like slow way and then you know maybe a couple of weeks pass and they're like yeah this isn't what i thought it was i'm not really that excited about it anymore i'm gonna go leave now um so you have to you have to identify those people and then be like, hey, could you do this? Would you be interested in helping with this thing and and making it a very tangible thing? Like another organizational community thing that I think people get wrong a lot is they'll just um, send out a message to everyone and be like, hey, does anyone want to do this? And it's like, whenever that happens, it's like, like that's not a that's not a, you're not asking me like, hey, I recognize that you're someone who could do this. This is something that we need done, and I want to give you this opportunity. Instead, you're like, hey, you know. The group needs this. Anyone want to do it? It's like, well, you're not making me feel special and um, <laughs> someone else will do it. Um, so actually, no, um, you know, they're very different requests. Yeah. So what you were saying earlier about, because I'm seeing a lot of this as well, uh, especially with, I think, uh, with systems which weren't intended for this in the first place, right? So you're seeing a lot of Twitter groups, Twitter DM groups, which are getting above that capacity of like, this doesn't really work anymore. Like WhatsApp groups as well, where you're like, sometimes you get added to a group and you're like, it's like a, you just bombarded and you're like, I can't deal with this. And there's a lot of these like huge centralized systems where everyone's like, look, I know everybody's there. So we have to use these systems, but these systems aren't robust enough to really factor in what we want to do. So you end up with these just like weird places with a ton of really smart people, a ton of people who all have the same values but no systems in place to actually utilize any of that. And it basically just turns into this like 
look at this thing I found and like, look what this thing I wrote and it, everything's like being lobbed into this eternal void. So do you, why do you see the evil? Do you think, do you think this problem is going to be solved anytime soon? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think if you agree I think with me, we, <laughs> no, I definitely agree with you. I, and I don't know that there's um like, there's probably not a one size fits all solution, you know, and I don't think this is a solved problem. Like, I think this is a, this is actually a huge problem, right? Like, you know, maybe this is this is like another example of one of those ways where it's like, oh, like, you know, there's so much potential here. There's more that could be happening. But instead, now it's like a group chat with too many people in it. Um, and they're all great and wonderful. But, um, you know, it's, it's just kind of devolving. And most of the time, I, I've kind of, I guess, I realized that I had like kind of a fatalism about these things. Like, I've experienced so many times where like, there's just like the tipping point where like too many people get added and then basically it's like, okay, there are already like a splinter group of like four friends who are like, yeah, I'm not sending that to like the group chat anymore. Like I'm just going to send it to like my boys. And then, but then there's like another tipping point where then there's like a, a group of like 12 people or something. And then there's basically just another group chat and like the large group chat just kind of dies. Um, I, yeah. but I did. I've, oh, sorry. I've just, I just want to jump in. I've always been the guy who said every group chat needs an authoritarian, right? Every group chat needs a dictator. As soon as there's fragmentation, you need someone to like stomp. Because as soon as I've seen it, like yourself, I can tell exactly what you're talking about. I've seen it a thousand, a thousand times. Like we just need this one more channel for this specific subgroup. Next thing you know, like a week later, there's like, you know, like as soon as it fragments. And that's probably my worry with decentralization as well is is that going to be its inevitability in that it's spreading itself literally too thin? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a really good point. Yeah. I think, I think there, there are risks in that, in that like, Oh, actually coordinating. Well, I mean, we're kind of living in this right now. And I think, right. This is part of uh, something that like idea market is, you know, part of the solution for, um, you know, see, see where everything you guys build goes, but right. We're kind of living in a world where like, our worldviews are like fragmenting to like increasing degrees where, you know, we, we trouble to come where we, we, we struggle to come to any sort of consensus. And like, in some ways this makes everyone more vulnerable or at least alienated where it's like, okay, there are increasingly few people, especially in my proximity who I feel share my worldview. Um, especially if you have a more niche worldview or, you know, or, or, or you at least see it in, in like various, things where you're like, oh, we're agree on all these things. And then you say something, and they're like, what? You know, or they say something, and you're like, what are you talking about? And it's like just this little emergence of like the stranger or like, you know, some some little meme that is like traversed through the internet and like ended up like infecting your friend, um, you know, which is not, you know, good or bad. Um, but, I, but I think, right, in some ways that does make people more vulnerable and makes it harder for people to organize. And we could be early in that, too. You know, we could be early <laughs> in, like, this fragmentation and that kind of accelerating. And I think, um, you know, that's why there is a, a room and a niche for people to push back on that and, and, you know, try to develop some mechanisms for consensus that at least are like, oh, you know, that person's really not credible. Like, maybe don't go down that rabbit hole. Like, here are some ones that, you know, are a bit more... Um, but you, but you know, and then unintuitively you need some sort of decentralized, uh, consensus making structure because otherwise you have Reddit, right? Basically where it's just like, okay, here are the approved sources that like everyone upvotes. Um, and okay, now it's just like within that channel, everyone, you know, it's easy for everyone to get the same brain worms. But then as soon as you like leave out 
um, you know, you venture out into a different context, people don't share your assumptions. Um, so like creating an aggregator is super hard. Um, but I think there's, you know, I think that the tack that you guys are taking is, is interesting and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's like attacking at a different level of the, of the problem. Thank you, man. Yeah. Like we've, we've thought about this a lot, this fragmentation. And while it's not the, like the, the, the main thing that we set out to solve, I think that there is an overlap there in the sense that the internet gives us infinite information, basically, right? And we can now justify pretty much any point of view. But not only can we justify it, we can also find social support for it. Mm-hmm. So we have, you know, everything we need to be fully at the mercy of our own preferences. There's no, like, counter-moderating force to um, encourage people to do anything other than go in the directions and toward the conclusions that, that we prefer. There's just, we have infinite, like, decadent luxury in doing that. And uh, the fragmentation that you describe is kind of like a creeping creeping loneliness. It's a longer term thing that maybe we won't recognize how lonely we are until it's too late. And, you know, there's a, there's a lot of strife between people who disagree with each other, particularly on places like Twitter, but also, you know, like I have nothing to talk about with someone who completely agrees with me, even though I'm constantly seeking that person out because just instinctively, I think everyone is looking for people that they agree with and like feel similar with, but like the interesting stuff happens when there's like a friendly boxing match to have where I completely disagree with James on X, but there's like a bigger framework that we can agree in and feel like it's yeah. safe to fight and like be sort of offensive together. Um, and you know, that's another kind of balance that has to be struck. Like, do you pursue the lonely luxury of of complete like unanimity or uh like a more flexible bouncy castle of like you know play fighting with your with your friends about about stuff and in a community it seems like you have to kind of strike that balance get people in a room that have the right sort of proportions of agreement and disagreement to um you know to have that kind of bouncy energy yeah, yeah. You need that like val- like a certain degree of values alignment. Um and and th- yeah, there's all kinds of interesting ways that people have tried to solve that when especially people who are really uh mission focused. Like I'm not a part of this group, but like I've heard like you know, the rationalist communities and stuff like that, like they have experienced um you know, they've been on many different platforms and they've experienced all these kinds of strife. So like when they create like when there's a splinter group or whatever, you know, some segment of them and they're on like a, a signal chat or something, they always will create like an explicit culture war group where they will like, like, you know, like create that and like throw people in there where if they want to beef about like some topic that's like in the culture war, there's like a space for that. And if you try to bring that into the other spaces, they'll like roast you and like be like, no, you got to stop because they have consensus about segmenting this thing because it's like, this behavior is permitted, but only in this space. Dude, that's kind of brilliant. Um, yeah. That that reminds me of uh, something I've been thinking a lot about lately, which is when I lived in Beijing, I'm Jewish, and we would, my then girlfriend, now wife, and I would go to uh, Shabbat dinners at the Beijing Chabad house, 
And it was super cool because it was the Beijing Chabad house. So like all the dignitaries from Israel and stuff who were in town on business would go to the, uh, the same place. And, you know, pretty big can fit, you know, probably a couple hundred people for a Friday night uh, Shabbat dinner. And adjacent to the main like restaurant section, like the main dining hall room, there was like a McDonald's play place, like cordoned off to the side. So that everyone who had kids and, you know, the kids could run around and wreak havoc in there and it wouldn't disturb the adults who were having like this solemn or not so solemn, but, you know, very specific ritual and, and careful, careful dinner time. Right. So I just loved how that was kind of cooked into the environment, that there's a release valve for the chaotic energy. It doesn't make it go away. It just kind of gives it a home. And I think that's that's a really you know cool and skillful principle. It's a super it's a super interesting thing gen- generally that idea of framing a conversation because it's like you know you'll you'll know this as well Mike but in terms of being invited onto a podcast or in, uh, organizing an interview I actually really hate the word interview because it makes people think back to like in the UK like Michael Parkinson like sat there ready to like like catch them out right I'm going to interview you right and I'm like no 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 it's a, it's a discussion but it is an interview and the same thing with like TED Talks and things like this, when people are like, we're going to have a debate. And it's much like what you were saying about people who are either like highly agreeable, there's there's nothing there, or like so far disagreeable, they're both just like, there's no point in this. And they end up just name calling. And to, you know, the, the ability to actually frame a conversation so you're like, there's enough disagreement here, but these people are amicable enough to just have a discussion is super, super rare. And it rarely ever happens because people are just ready to be like, I don't know. They're on the they're on the defensive, right? They're ready to attack. Uh, I thought of um, uh, I actually have an interesting uh, a question about the Chabad house. So what? Yeah, please. Um, <laughs> I, do do you do any kind of um, rich, ritual? Like I know, uh, well, I don't know exactly. You, you identify as I'm, I'm Jewish. I'm Jewish and Christian. That's true. Okay, you're 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 both. So do you do yeah. do you still do um? Like Shabbat, do you still celebrate or do you have any kind of ritual kind of around that? Do you take anything from the ritual? I really enjoy Shabbat, but I don't have a regular practice. Uh, I like the way the Chabad organization does it. I was uh, a part of that when I was in college and it was just, you know, a wonderful community and, and wonderful food. And the rabbi would be a lovely guy and tell a story and you get hummus and like it was just a, you know, a great you know, a great experience. So I, I do that on occasion. Um, do I get anything from the ritual? Is well, that, yeah. uh, I meant, I meant more in the context, like, um, okay, even if you're not, you know, practicing or like identifying, yeah. um, anymore, like, would you, or I guess to some extent you are, but, um, uh, I was wondering if you had a kind of practice around that. So at the university of Rochester, like, I think our population is like disproportionately Jewish, um, it's like a school where there's a big culture around that. We have a Chabad house. We have, uh, I forget what the other one's called, um, Hillel. Um, so when I was going to school, um, that was like, I didn't really know anyone who was Jewish. And then I ended up going to school and like a ton of my friends were, and they invited me to uh, Shabbat dinner. And um, I just loved it so much. Like, it's just such a cool thing, especially if you take it seriously. Um, not that, like, you know, I don't understand Hebrew or, or the prayers or anything involved there, but just the idea of like, okay, you know, sunset, phones off, not engaging with any electricity or anything. Okay. We're just like only going to talk about like big picture things that are like 
you know, uh, not not ephemeral, like existing out into perpetuity, like at a values level kind of thing. And we're just going to be, you know, sharing a meal like every Friday with, you know, different people um, drinking wine. You know, it's just it's just such a great experience. Um, So I keep saying, you know, I, I don't think I'm at like the point in my life where I can have some kind of practice like that. Um, exactly, but but like when I'm more settled down, I want something like that just because I think it's so cool. And uh, I went and visited my freshman year roommate who took Aliyah and moved to Israel. And it was cool because um, him and his friends are all the immigrants. You know, they all moved there. They're, they're, so it's funny because their families all moved to whatever country they were from and then their families stayed there. But then like the second generation like left those countries to go to Israel, at least for now. I think a lot of them will, will return at some point um, to, you know, where they were born. But it was cool because all the Israelis go home to be with their family. So all the expats have to do um, Shabbat together or like, you know, that's who's available to do it. Um, so when I was there over three weeks, we had one every single Friday um, and we went and ate at different people's homes. And, you know, there were like South American Jews and we ate their food and then we cooked one. And then it was also cool because like the beach is right there. So we'd be hanging out, you know, kind of like a built in social mixer where you're just meeting people who you otherwise might not have met. And then you're like, oh, what are you doing tomorrow and ever or this weekend, you know, basically tomorrow? And they're like, oh, we're going to the beach. And you're like, we're going to the beach. And then you just end up with like 40 people at the beach all hanging out and just that like degree of um, social mixing kind of built in at like this like cultural level. I think it's just something that's really powerful that people don't understand and like there aren't those those kind of mechanisms oh i I gave myself a little transition if that's okay when you were talking about like how we may forget um what community or like what relationships kind of were were like you know like like to some extent these these social problems are like a boiling frog you know where like like at some point we're just gonna be roasted um and this was actually a uh there's this great book which which i read earlier this year called dark age ahead by jane jacobs and, you know, like the dark ages, like has a certain connotation, but she's like, there have actually been many dark ages, basically just the idea that like knowledge was lost. Um, and we actually like degraded in our like either ability to like navigate reality or um, possess certain knowledge of the world. And one example she gives is like uh, the Chinese in, I'm not a historian, like 14th or 15th century, where like the dominant like seafaring people as far as like capabilities and then essentially like some internal um some internal like conflict between tribes or like you know political groups and one of them dominated or like ended up winning and then the group that won um was 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 in opposition to the the kind of seafaring like treasure hunting program mostly just because it was like favored by their enemies so they closed it all down like closed the harbors like knowledge was lost. They forgot how to do that. They forgot how to build the ships. Um, and Jane Jacobs kind of talks about a similar thing as far as communities, because that's really what she's, what she's concerned about. It's kind of this, this design. And she's like, you know, at some point, like people are growing up and like, they don't know what was lost, you know, like, like, you know, the meme, like this is what they took from you, except like no one knows what they took from you. Um, and, and, you know, you, you kind of have that, that coming up. Um, and I, and I think that's just so possible um, especially when you see that, like, uh, I think it was the Atlantic or someone had a, had a thing where it's like 50% of millennials say that they have no close friends. It's like, that's a huge problem. 
And that, and that like is, you know, it's just so stark. I mean, you know, I don't know about all the methodology of that there, but like, I think there is a lot of loneliness. I think we kind of see it through like deaths of despair and like all these other kind of like social ills that we have. But I, but I think, um, you know, it's just easy for people to realize like, oh, like life doesn't have to be this way, but like it's so far out of the, con- the popular conception of like what can exist or what should exist, what we shouldn't be focused on that like we're we're just going to lose ground and then and then there's going to be that kind of like lack of knowledge like we'll just maybe people will just watch movies from the 90s and they'll be like this is so weird there's no virtual reality in it um i'm never going to watch a, a movie again you know maybe new movies aren't even going to be interesting like maybe that'll they'll be it'll be like me being like i haven't seen movies from the 1950s and maybe that time scale is just going to move ahead where it's like okay um i'm not actually interested in movies at all I'm only interested in like TikToks or like video games. Um, so like they're not even going to like go and like we're going to be like, oh, this movie. And they're like, you watch movies, you're a loser, you know, or something, something like that. Um, I don't know. That was, that was a lot. But I think that that's those are things that I'm kind of worried about. Yeah. And I think, you know, you've, you hit on a lot of awesome stuff there. And what struck me is the, the Chabad, uh, like the Shabbat dinners as sort of engineered you know, legislated fun in a certain way. Yeah. That, you know, comes from this ancient, ancient tradition and kind of brings that, brings the ancient requirements into modern life. And then you go and it's, it's really pleasant and you enjoy yourself and you say, wow, yeah, you know, at some point, if not now, I really need something like this. And there's, at least in my experience, you can't really tell how fun that is until you do it. Like you kind of don't know you don't feel the void until you see the sunshine. You know what I'm saying? And um, I've been thinking also something else you said about how, you know, that's a, this is all kind of unforced. These are, you know, these are gatherings that people choose to have. And I've, I've been thinking lately about how the word faith has a really bad reputation in, in the modern era. And I've been, I've been trying to figure out how to express that faith is not just about, you know, believing in God or about having religious beliefs, but about choosing to do the things that can only be done by choice. And that's, you know, these kinds of, for lack of a better word, wholesome activities. And it's something that religious communities continue to do well, just because I think they were set up to not be so subject to the whims of culture. Um, and there's there's not a lot of institutions like that, religious or not, um, that that can withstand these tides and continue to provide wholesome activities as technology allows us to be, uh, you know, ever less wholesome. Totally. No, I agree. I, I think and just like kind of a, a minor point there is just in general, like um, it's a it's I don't know if this is like a thing that's getting worse or if it was. Or if it's me, you know, I, you know, you never know because you're always aging along with it. But it's just funny how there's so many things where you're like, for whatever reason, they're like primed in my brain that like it's not going to be fun, you know, like it, and maybe it is related to this wholesomeness thing where it's like, oh, like, do you want to go bowling? And you're like, what? Is it like 1995? <laughs> you know, whatever. It's just this kind of like conception in your brain where you're like, that's not fun. Like, what's fun is like speed and like, you know, like, you know, flashing lights and like loud, music and whatever like that's oh, what's fun I, I thought even speed I thought even well speed. people think that. <laughs> that's that, that, is, that is that is one hell of a difference like I don't do bowling I don't go bowling <laughs> I just do speed 
I don't do bowling. I do. Oh yeah, no, like that's like very, uh, very wild. Yeah, no, but I think you know, but because it is funny because there's sometimes where there's like something or someone's like, oh, do you want to go do this thing? And I'm like, ah, like I've been, previously I've been like, no, I don't want to do that. That's like not cool or that's not gonna be fun. And then and then sometimes you have to go do things like something like you know, girlfriend's like, come on, let's go do the thing. Like I want to do it. And you're like, okay, I'm gonna go. And then you go do the thing. And you're like, oh, this is great. This is so much fun. Like who why did I have that preconception like why why did I believe that like oh that's not a fun thing to do you know like we kind of can the I don't know if it like I don't know if that's a a math thing or if it's a personal thing but the idea of like what may be fun becoming kind of constrained some through through some process no I think I think you're you know touching on something that's if not universal at least widespread like I recognize it in myself and there's my theory about it is it's kind of like uh, a sense of taste like if you eat nothing but cake for a while your sensitivity to like fine mm. things goes down because you're sort of hyper stimulated um and technology has given us the ability to kind of give ourselves exactly what we want mm. kind of constantly like i remember when the only place where you could get a movie on demand was at a hotel and they had five selections and they were ten dollars and it was really exciting. It's like, wow, I can just de- I can decide when this starts. Like, that's super cool. Now everyone has it on their phones in their pockets. And you know, the only place where you could get room service was a hotel. Well, now freaking everyone has DoorDash, and every it's not just pizza that delivers; it's everything. And like, this is just incredible luxury. And the same amount of progress, if not more, has been made in terms of how we entertain ourselves. So when it comes to you know comparing bowling to TikTok, there's less of a like compulsion there and you kind of have to fight against your own insensitivity at least um that that's that's the metaphor that uh comes to mind for me so i, I yeah i don't think that it, that's merely a, a personal sense at all it's, that's really um, happening and i'm also um you know not not trying to sound like a luddite but i think these issues are really important for uh community in the sense that what's maximally entertaining in the short term isn't necessarily what creates human type bonds. Like it's, it's the things that you have to choose to do not the things that addict you that create that stuff. Oh yes, I like that. Um, yeah. Oh, that's, that's a good point. I, and I think you have to create that. Yeah. You have to create that space for some of these activities. Oh, and they have to be the differentiator. Like that's the other thing is like, um, if I'm trying to give you like, like if you're eating cake every day and then I'm like, Oh, I'm going to create a community that's like strongly differentiated. I'm going to like have a cake party or something. People are gonna be like, well, I have cake at home. There's no reason for me to go eat cake with you necessarily. And I think that this is kind of a thing that a lot of communities, um, fail into and it's kind of this interesting um space where it's like oh if you want to be you actually have to be hyper differentiated so you want to do things that like people can't actually get anywhere else and that might be something that's a little that that feels kind of like sorry to pick on like if someone's going to listen to this and they're going to bowl and they're gonna be like leave me alone but like you know it's like it's gonna be kind of like the um bowling you know where where you you have to offer something that is like distinctly different from kind of the hyper stimulus because you can't, because otherwise you're not competing. Because you, you're you're just saying, oh, we'll do that too. And it's like, well, then maybe I'll just stay home because that's that's not going to like scratch. Like you have to show me that there's some like unfulfilled niche that I need, and that and and if you can dominate that niche, then like maybe you can build a community around it, or you can you can um, 
be more successful. And it, like, so the example, um, you know, this is something that I've heard talked a lot about. We don't have to belabor it. It's not something I'm super informed about, but with the, um, it's a lot of like, uh, Protestant sects, like they really tried to become like hip and cool. So it was like, you know, you're going to have like, they're going to be playing guitar and there's going to be like rock music. And they really made themselves a lot more contemporary. They were, they, they made themselves more subject to like the whims of the culture or more open to that and kind of assimilated to the culture. Um, and I guess like relatively, um, those types of sects are performing a lot worse as far as like membership and retention than like the more conservative and like, um, you know, kind of like ritualistic, like appealing to like the past, um, kind of, kind of things. And I think, and I think it's like, you know, maybe I'm abstracting too much and this is also offensive to someone, but I think it is partially just like a strong product differentiation. Like they're offering you something that you can't get elsewhere. Whereas, you know, if, if your sermon is similar to like what you get, on Instagram or like Facebook, it's like, well, maybe I shouldn't go there. Like, you know, I could just go read my friend's sermon on facebook.com. Um, I don't need to like go and sit in the pew or like wake up in the morning uh, on Sunday and go do that. So I don't know that, but I, I think there's some principle there um, to, to think about when you're building any sort of community is like, what can we offer people that's distinctly different? And especially maybe something that maybe we don't even know that we want. Like we have to figure out like, oh, I want this thing and now I can like bring you in on that. Um, yeah, and, I th and the problem may be that we're all too opted into similar kinds of like hyper stimulus and we're not looking for this, um, this like strongly differentiated experience. Yeah, yeah, I like that comparison. And in addition to the strong differentiation, what, what strikes me about that exact example is that the more conservative uh, religious uh, sects are kind of more difficult. They're not built to appeal to you. There's like a harder opt-in. So when you opt-in, there's a tighter knit thing like, ah, all right, you're one of us. It's kind of, it's, there's, there's a steeper, there's a, there's more proof of work mm. in it. And, uh, I'm starting to think, yeah, like what, what can a community do to make itself like beneficially difficult in that kind of way? Like, we're, we're not for just anyone. Like if, if you want to join, like there's some barriers to cross and, and some, you know, principles to enact. I think that that's an interesting, interesting thing for building bonds. And this is actually like just as a kind of general principle. And I've definitely been influenced by this um, is I was in a fraternity in college. So like and it's funny because actually from an organizational standpoint, like a lot of the things that they do, um, it's similar in that it's like, emergent practices that like have either like um con continued and persisted over time or been dropped um and they are totally subject to like the whims of culture um for sure like there are many things that like fraternities were doing that they shouldn't be doing and you know and maybe even some things that they had been doing which were really great that they gave up on you know like both of those things really exist um but but i actually think as a kind of like model for a community um like they at least have a couple component parts that, you know, like there's an, like there's a strict recruitment, uh, you know, like practice, which is like, you know, very thoughtful and, and discussed. I mean, it depends on what, you're, you know, what organization, but in general, um, there are values that are outlined, which like there's an onboarding process whereby you have to like actually demonstrate some commitment to those in like various ways or, um, you know, there's a way in which those are embodied, not only in um, conversation and in a document, but in practice. Um, 
There's, uh, there's, you know, member, or there's ways by, by which like members are intentionally bonded, um, new members with older members to help them to, uh, you know, be, become instilled in the culture and also develop a tight relationship. There's ways to transition. There's exiting ceremonies. You know, there's lots of stuff that's actually embedded in something like that. Um, and I think for me, it was definitely informative. Um, like I, I mean, I had lots of these kinds of like organizational experiences, but I thought that really, especially looking back on that, like I, when I was, um, co-founding my first, like, um, you know, venture, which was a, um, a incubator targeted the undergraduate population of my alma mater. Like, you know, I wasn't doing anything that, you know, you would associate with a fraternity, but I was definitely thinking from this kind of like principles method, like, okay, what does onboarding look like? What does recruitment look like? Are we going to have, like, what rituals are we going to be involved in? What are our values? How do we act those out? Um, and I think that I was kind of primed to have that understanding from, from that experience. Sweet, yeah. What what kind of rituals do you like for communities? Because it's like the word ritual has ancient connotations and it sounds out of place in the technological world, but I think you're absolutely right that it can play a really integral role in this stuff. Yeah, I think it depends on on what your community is oriented around, you know. But I think I think in general, it's like okay, there's a there's some kind of activity that happens at a certain time, ideally recurring, um, or a function of like a certain um, thing like if this then that you know like if if we have new members and they've completed this thing then we need an initiation ritual um, and and you know but I think but I think you just have to kind of think about it in the terms of um, you know what what different functions need need to need to happen um, ones that I like um, in general I'm a big uh, I, I've kind of joked or like people have joked with me but I've also joked that like uh, my book, um, Lead the Future, like a lot of it was basically just me shilling for um, like people journaling. Like I'm a, I'm a big fan of journaling and, and writing and like taking specific time to, you know, express your thoughts, especially in a way where no one is going to read them explicitly, um, because I think it just changes kind of the function of like what you're going to write. Even if even if you're like, oh, I don't care. I'm totally shameless. Like I'm pretty high up there on the shameless category. And I can tell you that like the things I write in my journal and the things I write in like the Substack text editor are like distinctly different. Um, and I would say that, so, um, so I think having some sort of practice around that where you're like, Hey, I don't care if you like to read, if you like to write at all, but like, we're going to come and like, I'm, I'm going to, I did this in a class. Uh, I, I briefly taught a class um, targeted at the undergraduate population, helping them to conduct research and then draft a manuscript to publish with a small indie press, um, which is how my book was created. And when it became a four credit class, unfortunately, the, the kind of vibes got cut off by coronavirus because essentially I was teaching it and then coronavirus hit and then we moved remote. And, you know, a lot of the great community work that I'd kind of done um, very intentionally kind of imploded. But one of the things that I did was um, in class, you know, I would have a bunch of the lecture materials kind of be, um, you know, something you do as homework. And then um, in class, I would actually create structured time to actually do the work because I wanted to make sure that everyone was feeling progressed and moving forward on things. And then I also kind of would segment like 15 minutes every class where I would just have a prompt and I gave everyone a journal and I was like, write about the prompt or write about whatever you want. But all you can do for the next 15 minutes is like phone down, pen to paper, put something there, you know, and just kind of creating like space 
for that and for people to engage in an activity that like they otherwise wouldn't do. But doing that kind of as a group, I think, can be, um, you know, this sh shared experiences that most people are not experiencing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, uh, I really like this topic, so I want to leave room for it to get expanded upon. But I also have another thread to go down if nothing immediately, immediately comes up. Um, and that is, I kind of want to throw some communities at you and have you just kind of give your impressions and analysis if you can. Okay, I'll, I'll try my best. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, I'm just, I'm just interested. Um, Wall Street bets. So I think it's very interesting. Um, you know, I think what, like, I'm not sure where they are now, right? Oh, this is, sorry, this is like a kind of pedantic point, but I, I really love it. I think it's Talebian too. Um, but like, so he talks, I think there's this book called like The Discovery of France or something. And, and basically it's about how, like, you know, when I was in grade school and they talk about France, that you, you they talk about it as if it was a nation state in the way that we conceive of a nation state when really France was like, all these little, like, you know, I'm totally ignorant of France, like, history, but, like, all these little principalities or, like, these little communities, like, there was, you know, they're speaking, like, hundreds of languages or dialects or whatever. There was no centralized, like, oh, you learn this. This is the formal, like, French language. We have the committee on the language. You know, they have something like that. Um, so it's kind of, but, like, we use the same word, like, France in whatever century. We still call it France, even though it's completely different from, like, this, like, body that's now, like, part of, like, the supranational you know, like EU state. Um, so similarly, like Wall Street bets, like, okay, it's loaded in my brain as being like what it was when I first heard about it as this like, you know, short squeeze, like going after AMC, JME, or GME, um, like memes. And I was like, I was like a little early to that, but not like, didn't, didn't like go deep into it. Um, but I loved, like, that was one of my like favorite days in 2020 was just that, just like that whole reckoning and like being on Twitter at that point was the greatest thing. Um, so I don't know that much about the community. I think it's, I think they did a really good job. Um, like the memes were obviously excellent, but I think having like this kind of vision of like, this is what we're doing. This is what this means. Um, we're entering like a new kind of, um, period in, in, um, the the reality that can be constructed by like real um uh, by real real what is it uh, retail investors um you know i think i think the the kind of framing that they had about that was really great um i've heard that the community itself is like very toxic in a lot of ways um so like in my in my long on that community is it really like right now, it's also like from what i understand still mostly a reddit thing or like discord in reddit and I think the problem with like really large scale communities is that they also just become like psyops, you know? So like, especially when you're talking about like people throwing money at assets, it's like, okay, well, there are very sophisticated people who can probably create bots and all kinds of things to try to like warp you and like meme you into like doing things that are good for them. Um, and I know even that narrative itself was kind of like fraught, you know, where it's like, actually it wasn't like realtor or retail investors against the hedge funds, it was like other hedge funds and retail investors against the hedge funds, you know, are like these specific ones. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. And the, the paranoia is very well justified. Uh, in fact, it was, um, you know, love of Reddit combined with the cynicism about Reddit that eventually led to 
uh, me wanting to do idea market. Yeah, and I think and like Reddit just like a very clear like that was one that that really became clear to me. Like I understand. I think just the way that Reddit works, like this kind of like astroturfing is like even more legible than it is in like other platforms, or at least that was my perception of it. So like I just remember like going into like the 2015, 2016 like election kind of stuff. I was like looking at like some of the big subreddits and I was like, oh, this is just like a massive disinformation campaign. And like people think that it's like, you know, like that's just real. It's just like 100% true. It's like not disputable yeah. at all. Like if you talk to anyone who is like an organic real user for the most part, they're like, oh yeah, it's like filled with bots and whatever. Um, and it's just, it was just so visceral. And I think it's just because of the voting mechanisms. It's like cheap signaling and how you could just like, you know, all the like top like contents that are like really well written and interesting that are like capturing like genuine engagement from like all the users in juxtaposition to like what content was like on the front page was just like so vastly like the disparity there was just so giant that you're like, yeah, this is like not real. Um, so like that mechanism was just like hyper vulnerable to being attacked. But I think, you know, and that's, that's part of the reason why I'm so excited about um, kind of just in the most abstract, like the signaling potential through crypto just as a function of like costly signaling. Like, you know, it's like there's so many problems that have emerged that, you know, how you actually execute that and make that happen in a way where it it works um, is, is something that's still being figured out. But I think like overall, um, that mechanism will work, you know, and we'll, and we'll develop interesting ways to use it. And, and it's, it's going to be really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, agreed. Like, it doesn't have to be perfect, but if it's orders of magnitude more expensive to fake and myth manipulate than the current situation is then that you know that's that's too much the ball game that's that's a, a paradigm change um I, I i can't say enough how much of, of a fan of reddit i am i think you and i were probably looking at a lot of the same stuff i was a big bernie supporter on reddit like leading into 2016 and if you you know look at my reddit profile like a bunch of my top things are like bernie advocacy posts and various things and i was just like super deep into that and um yeah the the line between organic and inorganic was really really clear on that issue at that time and when uh when bernie left the race that summer it was just kind of like all right there's nothing real left to pay attention to anymore and i kind of fell fell out of love with reddit around that time um but another reason I like Reddit is you can, it seems like you can see the whole cycle of communities like starting up or being obscure and like super fans coming in like a hundred or a thousand at a time. And then you can see when it starts to decay, when it starts to get too big and starts to get like perverted. Do you know yeah, what, there's do almost you know a you know what the first line cycle is? to it. Wait, it I, I want to on... say, yeah. Go, go, go okay, ahead. so go, go, no, go ahead, go ahead. I just want to use the phrase fruit-like cycle as often as I can. I actually got it from Louis C.K., but it's, I think it's perfectly apt. There's like a fruit-like cycle to communities that they sort of, you know, they're green and early and then they become ripe. And then when they're ripe, they get, you know, they decay into these things that are used for other things. And you kind of have to like kind of ride the ripe wave somehow. You have to kind of like maintain the right pressure dynamic or something for as long as you can, you know, at different scales. I just like that metaphor. 
You know what? You know what it's like. I'd say the fruit metaphor is good, but I would change it to you know tomatoes on the vine when they're like all different colors. So it's like some some ones right at the end of dying because this is the key sign that a community is about to die, and it happens all the time in religious communities specifically. It's like starts with Catholicism and then it gets a bit too big, and then it goes to real Catholicism is like the splinter, and then that gets too big, and that goes to like real traditional Catholicism, right? And everyone's like trying to retain some sense, of, but as things grow, it just loses that like core which built it initially. And so eventually yeah. you just end up with this basically entropy, which enters into everything and that never stops. And then you look back right. at the original tomato and eventually it doesn't even resemble a tomato anymore. And you're like, anything goes now. Like, I don't even know how we'd even use that. No, anymore. That, that makes perfect sense because once, once it becomes acceptable to fork, then everyone's individual judgment is what like the real thing is and there's no there's no kind of shared reality anymore but but then then we've immediately got this problem right because you don't want to be like right this thing can never be flexible like you can't have you want to be you want to somehow contain the splinters within the main vision and be like it's cool you guys do your thing but we're all connected somehow yeah 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 that's tough yeah i wonder what kind of rituals and stuff could endanger that but i grant go ahead well there's yeah i would say that that is i, I think that's probably like another piece in which Taleb has like influenced my thinking on community is just understanding that like there is a phase change um as a function of scale you know and just this emphasis on scale being so important um yeah i think i, I think i slightly brought this up earlier but um i just kind of had this fatalism oh yeah about how these, these things are going to fork and it was really interesting. And we'll see where this one goes. Again, time and scale are both, like, really important um, measurements that, like, people don't use when they talk about these things. But the, um, but I'm, I'm in a group chat in Austin that has been awesome. It, like, helped me to, like, make so many friends when I first moved here. And the people who are, who are in it are, are great. And we're meeting up in person, you know, and, like, going out and, and doing lots of things. Um, like, you know, or hosting events and all this kind of stuff. And... Um, there was like a point where everyone could add people to the chat and like I was going and I was just meeting cool people and I was like adding them to the chat. And then basically I added like three people to the chat in like a day. And then like, you know, our like admin came and like DM me and was like, yo, you can't be adding people to the chat. And then he's like, actually no one can be adding people to the chat because we were approaching kind of like Dunbar number. And like, he just kind of like put this like strict wall and then he's gone through and like removed people who are like inactive and stuff like that. Um, but you know, like you can no longer invite people to the telegram and so far the group has been like more robust having done that. I think there's probably still more that could be done to kind of like facilitate our community doing that. And maybe some of that's just like certain people need to like step up, um, and like do X, Y, Z things. Cause a lot of it is still like a couple few, a couple lead players. Um, but just kind of that point where you don't have to be fatalistic about this, but you have to know what you want, like do you want to be huge? Do you want to be on the front page of Reddit? Like, is that your goal? Or do you want to like, just be the premier spot for you and like these early adopters to like have your conversations about this niche thing you're in or whatever, you know? So I think um, some of it is just about like figuring out what do you really want? And at least like maybe to this point of like what, what needs to remain the same is like maybe a certain, like maybe there's certain boundaries on your like end goal that need to be, like, well-defined and, like, inflexible to, like, just 
because that'll inform like what what rituals you have or what decisions that you make. Um, yeah, you know, like you you need certain constraints that you want to be organized around that like you're committed to because um, because otherwise you can just play like right in Reddit. There's like you know giant like mimesis like kind of kind of thing where it's like oh like we could be we're better than them like we could be that big like we should blow up everyone should like the thing that we like and then it's like okay like now this isn't fun anymore um oh yeah we have all these users isn't that great um this place sucks now um you know and 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 sometimes maybe it's like you got to move on from things anyway like it's just a phase in your life and that's like good and fine but you know if you want this to be something that you like keep with you for a long time then probably putting in some constraints to design around is is important. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. Hmm. The uh, I feel like the Bitcoin community has done a lot of things right. Has gotten a lot of things right, and it's probably easier. It's probably not as meaningful as it sounds to say that because it's there's no real boundaries on it. You know, everyone whoever includes themselves in that community is a part of it. Um, but what I really admire about how that culture has developed is it started, it has, it has maintained two really important things um, in its whole, whole lifetime. One is shared tribal knowledge. Like everyone in the Bitcoin community, no matter how they're related to it, has some knowledge in common, has a worldview in common, believes that the future should look like X, or at least directionally toward X. And at the same time, there's this that 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 tribal knowledge creates sort of this us against the world feeling. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to have that when you're like four people or four hundred people. But now the Bitcoin community probably extends into the millions of people and they all have this sort of us against the world kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. And I think um, they're a great model for idea market. I think just just the way it developed, because there is kind of a a large philosophical onboarding element. Only a few people understood Bitcoin at first, like a weird Venn diagram of uh, like hash cash nerds and libertarians, and like you had had to have a real kind of weird Venn diagram of expertise and interest to get Bitcoin real early. Um, but as it evolved and that circle grew, the same kind of enthusiasm and specialness remained, even even, even at different scales and without anyone really in charge. Uh, I just think that's really cool. Yeah, I think that. Um, so one of my, so I feel like I, I should have written this piece because then I would have a, a bit that I could go for. But I actually think that like Bitcoin. So one, I think Bitcoin is kind of like memetically strongly differentiated. Like I don't think any other crypto projects can do what Bitcoin has done um, as far as the memes. Um, just because like and it, it kind of the, the take, which I need to write to like actually make it. But is that like Bitcoin is actually uh, a religion um, like other other things are not a religion. Um, and, and it's good. You know, I'm not saying Bitcoin's a religion and you're, and you're crazy. I'm saying Bitcoin's a religion and it's, and it's good, actually. Um, and, and like the, um, the, and it's like differentiated from other things. So one, some of this is because like it's not just like calling it the first mover advantage is just kind of naive. While it's also true. So it's like one, like Bitcoin's launch is actually incredibly fair. 
um, even though it is proof of work and like it was just about like you had to be early and you had to like know how to run the software, whatever. But it's like it was so risky and such a random thing that like, you know, it's not like anyone knew it would be worth anything. And there's like endless stories of people who like sold for like cents or dollars, you know, and, and there's kind of this trope where it's like, I knew about Bitcoin in 2014 and I told someone else that they should go buy it. And it's like, or I should have bought it. It's like, okay, well, if you had bought it at $10, you would have sold it at $20. And if our dad had bought it at $100, he would have sold it at $120. You know, like, like, like there's just no way. So, and like now it's now, like right now we're in a different kind of like mimetic landscape where, um, which is like, you know, you kind of see, you see how differentiated it is where like now people are like, you know, quote unquote aping into like all these random coins because they kind of believe, oh, Bitcoin's a thing. Therefore, this thing could be a thing. So like, you know, I know I should like take the risk and just hold. But like now, so like contingent on like Bitcoin having become a thing and, and been so successful, you can never really replicate that same initial kind of founding. So I think that it's like, unique in that way okay so the religion bit so like it has a foundational text um there are people who are like you know there's been a schism you're not a real religion until you have a schism uh no, i don't i don't know who i'm offending with that one so i'll, I'll i'm joking um but then it's, i would it's say a funny principle yeah but then i think you need um oh, it's, it's, i think it's like it's similar to like uh you're not really in a relationship until you have a fight you know kind of thing like like unless you've like fought over something like you're just you're not in a relationship um and then there's uh uh so so they have a schism people are you know like going and debating like foundational texts to like derive like where things should should go um there are not only just like shared worldview and memes but also like shared practices um that people in, engage with um so whether that's like stacking stats or that's like you know there's different variations of this like people who are like oh like Actually, if you're a Bitcoiner, that means that you, you know, not that everyone abides by these things, but like if you're a true Bitcoiner, like, you know, you only eat meat or if you're a true Bitcoiner, like you don't purchase these types of things because like you realize that like your money is, you know, going to 10x plus from here. Um, so like you, you can't be do that. You have to, you have to call things, um, having a defined enemy or like kind of things that are like, um, like a, a, a value system, like it has a like complete kind of value system. Um, so anyway, I should have wrote the piece, but I think that that's generally um, like a concept in which, and, and then it, oh, and then it like the Genesis block, you know, there's this, this founder and like no one knows who he is and it's, and um, it's a virgin birth. Yeah. Yeah. And he, yes. And he, and he disappeared. So I think memetically a conception. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, it's, so it's just so it's like, like the the memes of it in like the most visceral way are just so strongly differentiated and excellent. There are like some risks that come from it, but I think that like overall, like we like empirically, we've kind of seen these things being overwhelmed. You know, so like my bet is that like you know the Satoshi's like keys are never used, the Bitcoin never moves. Um, we never find out who Satoshi is. Like you know, it's always disputed. Maybe people co coalesce around an idea, but it'll never be definitive. Um, I think that those are all likely to be true. Um, even if Satoshi is alive and just very wealthy and like, you know, still like a core developer or something like that. Um, I think that, or, or maybe not, maybe just completely walked away being like, you know, I have my bag. I'm long, you know, at some point, hopefully, you know, I'll, or hopefully never have to work again, but he's like, it's too risky for me to be involved. 
um, because like it needs to have this like genesis. So I, I like to say that Satoshi is like the greatest marketer of our generation. Um, and like hopefully, you know, that'll be a take that like, uh, you know, uh, ages well. So, you know, if you like that, you can buy me on if you like. Yeah. No, I do. I do like that. Anyone, anyone who takes marketing advice from Satoshi, I'm, I'm inclined to pay attention. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't remember what else I was gonna say, but oh, like defined enemy is like really key for for marketing in general. Um, but I think that, um, yeah, you know, like it's it's great being in Austin because like I'm friends with so many people who are just like diehard Bitcoiners. Um, and I also think strategically, like a lot of things that they do. So like, there are definitely times where like. Uh, can't like, like antisocial maximalism. It can be very grating, especially in in person. Um, especially because I think there are, are interesting technologies that can exist leveraging blockchains, like you know NFTs. Regardless of what you think about Ethereum, the concept that we can like create digital scarcity in art is cool. You know, like like you know, I think there's there's potentials there. I personally like in game. I'm a gamer. You know, I don't game right now, but like I'm a gamer, and I think if I could take ownership of things or be able to like okay i don't have access to my account anymore because like i haven't played this game in like 20 years but like you know if it had given me like you know 20 years from now if i had some artifact that i'd gotten from the game that was like in my wallet and then you know someone could build something on top of that where it's like oh you're an og you know whatever you're an og Fortnite player like you know that's cool like you know, like social signaling. That'd be really smart. That'd be really smart. That was my, give that all was the my entry. Money for uh, all the points they racked up in various games when they were ten. Ooh, I don't, I don't think I don't think That's I ever crazy. told you this, Mike. That was that was literally my entry to crypto. Was selling uh, an in-game item for Doug, for four thousand Doug back in the day. <laughs> oh nice! I sold a I sold a horse in a game for four thousand Doug, and that's how I started in crypto. Wow. Yeah, man. How much is that That's worth crazy. now? What was that worth at peak? Four thousand Doge. They were like a dollar at one point, right? Uh, that was a thousand dollars. Four thousand wow. Doge right now is a thousand dollars. Painful. You can, you know, you can make make that back in a weekend. Yeah. yeah. Can I? <laughs> in crypto? Yeah, I can't. I yeah. Don't, I couldn't tell you how, but yeah, I'm sure you can. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say thanks. Airdrops. Thanks for the advice. Just, just get, just, just get some airdrops. Just go down the list. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, so I just see, like, I just think um, the application for video games is so clear to me. So, like, what that yeah. looks like, I don't know, but, like, the fundamental technology is there. Um, but I would say that, like, they're, like, people are also not wrong when they say that, like, maximalism does have utility. Because I think it does, like, especially if you're friends with people who are Bitcoin maxis, like, um, I think that it, it drives you from, like, doing, like, taking certain moves. And a lot of them are, are probably not good. Um, so I, I personally experienced that where like, I'm like, oh, I'm friends with a lot of maxis and like, there are definitely certain things I should not be doing because they'll be like, bro, what are you doing? Um, but I think that the, um, uh, although I'm like, not really there, I'm, but I'm like, I'm like, don't, but please do not, sm I just said Satoshi's the greatest marketer of our generation. I am like, you know, very much, a, uh, an orange pilled card carrying Bitcoiner. Like, please do not call me a shit coiner. I will fight you. Like, <laughs> Yeah, well, like the maximalism, I completely understand the strength because it's it's orthodoxy. It takes it takes all the uncertainty out of the margins and says this is the hallway you need to sprint down, and all the energy that might otherwise go into like decisions, instead you can just apply toward the goal. That's mm -hmm. that's incredibly powerful. It's a laser beam. Um, 
So of course, of course there are advantages to that. And it's easier to be one too. Like opting into that system is very fruitful, you know? So like if you, you know, ortho, you know, you can be an orthodox Ethereum person, you can be an orthodox Bitcoiner. I'm sure there's orthodox Cardano people, you know, like, like it's not, it's, it's just like those communities are smaller, you know, and, and relative, or maybe they're less outspoken. Maybe they're culture, they're culturally different. There's, they have a different selection effect. Um, but, but, you know, if you're, if you're hundred percent on the team, no caveats, no, this is what I think, blah, blah, blah. Like I just had to do like, you know, more doors open for you. Um, but like, you know, I really kind of want to like, you know, at least, at least where I'm at right now, I just really am focused on like, okay, lots of people can be maximalists. They can be ideologues. You know, I'm just going to be like your annoying, like lib friend who's kind of like, well, actually, I mean, here's some nuance, whatever. I'm like, I'm very happy to be that guy. You know, there's, there's, I think I think it's a it's, it's a niche that I'm that I'm happy to play. It's more fun for me uh, personally. I like to be I like to be the you know the heretic whatever. I feel the same way, and I'm I'm inclined to ask Ben. Do you have any heretical views on idea market or anything that I like to say? <laughs> like, how, how, can you bother me? Do you have it? In, do you have something to bother me with? I'm just curious. Uh, no, I I don't know that I do. I'm I'm okay. um, I'm not like. I look forward to it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, it's at some point I will. Like if I if I get a take, I'll get you one. I think anything I could say is just very like, uh, uh, yeah. I would I would be doing it just because you asked and not because I have something that I'm thinking about. But I will I will you know I I know that you're uh, good for it. Um, you know I asked you I asked you questions when we had our first conversation where I was like I don't really understand this and so far like I think your answers to my questions have been good. Um, but yeah, if I develop some kind of like heretical take on on idea markets thesis i'll ask you the hard question or have a right. conversation cool and i will i will be sure that you are punished adequately yeah 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 and uh yeah we'll figure that out um yeah no i really like that and do you have you gotten the sense that there are a lot of well you it's, it's funny that you describe yourself as like a lib friend and i, yeah. I don't think there are a lot of people who who you know uh, Bernie Sanders supporters in crypto, do you feel like you're the first one that I've met, I think. Do you know like a lot of people like us? Are there more out there? Um, I think there are more. I think there are more um, like post kind of Bernie people. I mean, I guess it depends on yeah. where you're at. I'm, you yeah. know, so like, right, there's, I mean, there's also different flavors of like post Bernie people. So like, right, there's like people who are like post after 2016, like my dreams died, like my, you know, like de democratic socialist dreams, like were were crashed, uh, crushed in like 2016. And it's totally fine. But like, you know, that was, that was a struggle for me then. Um, and then there's the people who like really held on into like 2020, you know, and like, and right. that's kind of a different flavor, I think of like post Bernie person. Um, yeah. and, 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 and their trajectory will be interesting. You know, it's still very, that's like still a, a nascent wound. You know, there's like, there's some like post Bernie 2020 person. It also depends on how old you are, but you know, there's some like post Bernie 2020 person who's, you know, maybe even going to listen to this. Who's like, you know, I should, I too should grab a copy of uh, the black swan by Nassim Taleb and go walk to my local McDonald's and just read it and take notes in a journal. And you know, that, that could be my trajectory into my next thing. Um, but I think there are more of us than you would think because it's just a certain type of person, like the type of person who I think was um, like Bernie Moore, maybe because he was like anti-war, you know, or, or because he was kind of against the machine, you know, it's kind of like a general person who I think is like very high compassion, 
but is like a bit distrusting of like systems who is like, well, you know, Bernie just wants to do good things. And, you know, he's an outsider. So I trust him more than the other people. So like, he's my guy. Um, whereas like me, like going into 2020, like I was most interested in um, Marianne Williamson, um, Andrew Yang and Tulsi. Those are kind of like my, my champions at the time. Um, just because I think, uh, you know, I was just kind of like, you know, Bernie's too old. They're not going to let him do it. They already kind of like showed that that was not going to happen. He also ran on like a weaker platform in, in my, um, you know, personal estimation. Like I think some of the things he had added were just like, you know, they became more like he became more like the machine and the machine became a lot more like him. And everyone was just kind of like playing this like very cheap signaling game. Whereas like, you know, Williamson, I think is like a very charismatic leader in like not a scary way but like in a way where it's just like she's act genuinely saying things that like you know people like they they had to attack her because she was so powerful with her like memes and ideas and like you know she's still like she's she's very much like a card carrying member and like a good player or whatever maybe she's not a card carrying member but she's she's she you know she plays well she's not as antagonistic as she could be um but like but she has a lot like she says a lot of things that are incredibly true and they had to frame her as if she was you know, crazy or something. And when in fact, like, yeah. she's like a highly credible person, written many books, you know, like well-loved, has like done like concrete, you know, direct action type things that like genuinely made people's lives like a lot better. Like she's done a lot more than, than most people, um, like truly a, a talent. Um, and then, you know, Tulsi, I find to be like incredibly interesting. I don't know exactly what her play is right now, um, but, you know, she needs to get, uh, Tulsi, if you hear this, you know, we got to talk about nuclear energy because, um, you know, you could be very right on this. Um, I know that you're an idea market podcast listener. So, um, thank you, Mike, for this, this opportunity, um, uh, to give, give Tulsi the shout out, um, and, and call me. Um, and then, um, and, uh, you know, but, but mostly her like anti-war stuff, although she's not like 100% where I am on, on everything. Um, I think she was very interesting in that regard and a very credible speaker, yeah. you know, and yeah. I think one of the things that we learned is that, um, you know, your policies, whatever, it's like, you know, are you are you strong? Are you going to be able to stand up to these things? Can you communicate effectively? Can you rally people towards your vision and a vision that's, you know, good for America and, like, you know, genuinely good for America, not just framed as good for America? Um, and then um, being the commander-in-chief is, like, one of the most important things by far that the president can actually do. And they have to realize that they actually have that power and wield it and not just talk as if they they. Uh, yeah. um, and then yeah. Yang is just interesting because he's a, a wonk. He put a lot of like ideas out there that I think are, are genuinely interesting. I would definitely credit him with like, you know, the kind of like direct stimulus that people received. I think that was mostly like, I don't think that would have happened had he not run um, just because I think he really added a lot of credibility to like, oh, let's just give people money. Um, and I, I would say one hobby horse that I have, which I've, I've spoken about a bit is a lot of people are very critical of um, they're like, oh, the pandemic response actually proves that UBI is a bad idea because like we had all these labor market shortages as a function of that. I'm like, no, it actually shows that like actually unemployment is probably not the best way to structure these benefits because it disincentivizes people from rejoining the labor market. And actually UBI would probably have been better, um, you know, and just in general, like kind of like thesis. So because people are using that as a justification to not support UBI. And I, I'm not even necessarily like, like, I think the devil's in the details about how you'd execute something like that. But, like, my very American belief is that um, for every hour that you work, you should become wealthier. And if you have a system that makes it where you can actually work another hour 
and become net poorer, it's a bad system and it's un-American and it should be reformed. And if that means we have to give people cash, I actually think that's more American than the system that we have right now. So, um, you know, so that's, that's kind of like my, my take there. Um, yeah, so that's where I was at. Like, there's, there's definitely a lot of, I think, cultural relevance between idea market and, and at least Yang and Williamson in the sense that on the day idea market launched, like the first people that I bought, I bought five, five accounts. And Marianne Williamson was one of them because, especially because, and I've said this on other podcasts, I think that, uh, one of the things that she frequently says is, uh, people who consider themselves spiritual tend to kind of disengage from like the dirty worlds of politics and business and stuff like that. And she says, you need to do the opposite. You need to go into those dirty worlds and bring your spirituality to them. And if, if, you know, if, if you're so powerful, why aren't you powerful? Yeah. Right. And she's, she's not only saying that she's walking the talk. And so I just, I can never stop, you know, shilling about how, how awesome I think that approach is. And, um, so yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big Marianne fan for, for reasons, including that. And, um, you know, it kind of does go right to the core of, of idea markets philosophy in the sense of, you know, bringing principles to a you know very kind of dirty and, and, you know, crazy and, and power frenzied sort of, uh, industry and function in the world. And Yang uh, I'm forever indebted to Andrew Yang for being one of the more obviously maligned and mistreated presidential candidates by the media. Oh like there's a single, there's a single blog post somewhere that shows like 50 times that Yang was just omitted by like the five uh, top media corporations. Like he's third in the polls and they show the top 10 and it's nine people just because he's not there. Like that stuff happens so many times that it is obviously not, you know, like innocent error. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it, this is exactly the problem that idea market is designed to counteract. And so I would, you know, love to plug into the Yang community and, and see if we can give them some kind of reprieve or some kind of, some kind of, uh, counteraction tool to that. Cause yeah, he's, he's really been just an incredibly clear, um, victim of, of these systems. Totally. Yeah. 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 I, I almost forgot about like a lot of that, you know, and that's like the other thing that's so pernicious is just like how uh, the score of these things is like, is like lost, you know, like, like you're so mad about these things at the time and then you're so barraged by this like other like hyper stimulus and like completely just like, you just forget, you know, it's easy to forget. I guess it's probably the easiest yeah. way to say it is it's easy to forget. Um, and as soon as you bring it up, I'm like, Oh my God. Yeah. Like, you know, like some stuff that is just borderline like racist, you know, it's just like they were clearly like not treating him as if he was like his own person. Like like many times he was just called like a completely wrong name. And it was just like it's just like, no, he's like a candidate for president who should be treated just like everyone else. And like you're like it, it was. Yeah, it was like so grotesque. Um, so, yeah, I hated that. Um, but I forgot about it. You know, I really I really kind of forgot about it. I was like I was like, yeah, he didn't do as well. He dropped out. Um, you know, his ideas are important. It's kind of my takeaway. Well, you're welcome. I'm glad to give you a spoonful of a bitter medicine. I'm, yeah. I'm sure that's, I'm sure that's very pleasant. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, go ahead. If you had, if you had a thought, um, no, I don't, I don't think I particularly had a thought. Okay. Sorry. I was just All making... right. Well, like, 
the the 2016 election for me was the end of any semblance of hope that the system could work well enough to be worth the effort. Mm. Um, like Bernie, w- one of the main reasons I really liked Bernie was because um, he was he was pro he was moving toward a vision rather than away from like a panoply of disasters. Mm-hmm. And that's the way he ran his campaign too. He didn't really attack people. He just sort of let their absurdities back them into corners and then said, well, what you going to do now? You're in a corner. Mm-hmm. And I just love this kind of uh, non-aggressive, like it, it kind of called back Gandhi and Martin Luther King to me in his like refusal to uh, fight dirty. And a lot of people thought that that was like a downfall, but I, I saw it as a, a massive strength. And so if he can't win in the system, that was that was just like all right. There's like there's no mm. no use in and continue to fight along these lines. And then the the abuse that Yang received as well. Like each of these kind of um, you know transparent public disasters are new opportunities for people to go. Oh wow, uh, you know this is this is broken. I don't. This is not going to work anymore. And like back out. And the distance I'm realizing that you can run from the system is pretty much infinite. Like the paranoia can go really, really deep. And I'm just kind of wondering mm-hmm. how maybe I, sh- I should probably provide some more context for this. Um, how, how, I don't want to say how broken do you think it is? Mm-hmm. But like how, how, how deep does the rabbit hole goes? And for example, do Aliens run the world was like David Icke, right along, and you know Alex Jones, and like how how weird do you think things really are, and where's where are the real levers of power that the public has access to? Mm. I think so. I don't know. I find them. Um, uh, so I think a lot of a lot of things that we see are actually just like uh, I don't know. My ho- my hobby horse on this. Uh, is very much just that like a lot of things are a function of selection bias and these kind of like emergent effects. So something that I think is kind of like systematically down ranked is that, um, you know, like, so there's this meme like WTF happened in 1971. Um, and I don't know if you've seen that, but yes, of course. Yeah. So, so essentially like, um, you know, something that's happened since 1971 is just like kind of like math, like, global commerce like you know like really the these corporations have gotten so much bigger global trade is giant like the rewards for being like you know oh ceo compensation is like skyrocketed it's like yeah because we have these giant global markets and there's these people making like these crazy decisions and like all these people are willing to like compensate them in like extreme ways um so that's like one angle on this is that like the rewards like if you're a hyper competent executive who has like really good decision making abilities and you know you know is really seeking status um, in a world where there are these massive global markets and massive like global communications channels like your ability to earn you know, the rewards you get um, for engaging in that type of activity are just so giant relative to the rewards that you can get for being um, 
you know, in government, whether at like the state, local, or like federal level. Um, like obviously there are some people who have done really well for themselves and are like, you know, tens of millionaires who have just sat in, you know, Congress like for the last however many years. Um, but like by and large, people who are extremely wealthy and successful to, chose to not go into government, even though they like maybe would have had the ability to. And obviously it's, it's not quite such a binary. Um, but I think, uh, you know, so we have these giant selection effects where it's basically like if I'm super hyper competent um, and and like the kind of person who you'd be like, wow, you're really smart. I want you to process information and make these like big decisions. Um, your incentive to like go into government is extremely low or your opportunities outside of government are way larger. And then at the same time, um, the cost of, of running, especially in like for democratic positions, um, you know, democratically elected positions have increased because, you know, there's like an essay called like the feeding frenzy, but it's like, okay, if I'm like a fairly normal, competent person who has like a family and, you know, just wants to like provide a good life for, for them, um, like, okay, do I want like to, you know, put all this, put this target on my back and have people go research everything that I've ever done in my life, everything I've ever said, tweeted, Snapchat, whatever, go find it or go, or, you know, even just manufacture claims about me that aren't even true, kind of leveraging these weird media dynamics where you can like let something run wild and then the retraction gets no, you know, feedback. So like, okay, for the rest of my life or my children's life, there may be some meme that like, I'm really someone who I'm not, even though like I'm a pretty upstanding, like moral person. Um, so I think just a combination of like, you know, that's just one layer, but I think like four people are opting into these democratically elected positions, like on average, they probably like have certain qualities um, that like maybe we don't want someone in that position to have um, uh, just, just like more so than, than not. And then, you know, some of the talent like that we could have where it's not there. Um, and when you have these big centralized systems, like the non, the effects of like individual decision makers are so nonlinear, um, especially at like the time scale, like a longer time scale, because you make a decision in government and it persists out like long into the future. Um, so I think just, uh, you know, a lot of it's random, but like a lot of it's selection biases. Um, and I think if you kind of trickle down to like the specific institutions, um, that we're in, like, a certain type of person is opting into doing that. Um, I think there's like a Camille Paglia thing where she's like criticizing um, like, you know, whatever you want to call them, like Marxist professors in the academy. And she's like, the real radicals aren't in the academy. They did too much acid and like dropped out. Like these are all like, you know, the, the strivers who were just like adjacent to these things. Like they weren't even participating in this culture. If they were, they wouldn't be the academic professors. So like they're kind of like, like a lot of these people are kind of just like riding on the coattails of like the people who are actually like revolutionary in their generation. You know, just as an example, like that's just like a more visceral one. Um, but I think like if you look at a lot of different institutions, just like the people who are occupying those seats, um, like we're not selecting for the people that we want. And like, as I've said, even with the community, like, that's just so important but with a business. It's so important. Like you've got to get the right people. And if you, and if you're, you know, arbitrarily it's around like, Oh, did Harvard admissions let you in? Did Yale admissions let you in? Oh, and you completed this degree. That's like not even that hard to get once you've already like hopped through the hurdle of like getting into Harvard, like, okay, that doesn't mean that you should become like the director of the FBI or, you know, something like that. Like there's like, that's, that doesn't mean that like you're, that that's like, is, like, is that the selection criteria that we'd want? And I'm sure, I'm sure people could listen to that and say it's like an abstraction. I'm like, yes, I don't, I don't know all the specifics 
of these things. But I think by and large, we're probably underrating the importance of like selection effects um, in like deciding, especially who sits in um, these seats of power. Um, and you can even look at the democratic thing, like to, to what we're saying about Yang, you know, who's included in in the graphics, um, who's who's who gets a seat in the party, you know, all those kinds of things. So I, I think I think like how people get into these positions of power is something that really needs to be reflected on. And we don't really have like a deep like, we have a very surface level conversation on this. And I, I think yeah. it runs a lot deeper. That's really interesting. And it seems like selection bias could be leveraged for good mm -hmm. by communities, like creating situations that only the people you want would be attracted to and um, things like that. I think that's cool. Like selection bias sounds like a passive thing. It sounds like you pour you know, water on the ground and it falls through the cracks and the cracks are selection bias. But I think even though it sounds passive, this is a kind of thing that could be engineered very proactively and um, I, have, I've, I haven't begun to think about it from that angle yet, but I think that's really cool. I think you've said some, some really interesting stuff. Yeah, yeah. So that's, yeah, I don't know. I just, I just got kind of got on that. I've been looking for certain, like, metaphors to help explain it better. Um, yeah. It was kind of a, a side project that I stopped focusing on, but it's something that I keep thinking about um, and hoping to get into some new context from, you know, thinking about it from different angles. But, yeah. Um. I was uh I I want to ask who like what communities or groups of people are the most interesting to you like whether or not you you know get along with them or agree with them like mm. I think like just right now what's mm, interesting well so okay I will I'll do a little a little a uh, little shilling for uh indiethinkers.org. I think that um the people there are super interesting, super awesome. Um basically I I've, I've been working on this uh working on it part time and then full time and now kind of part time again, but essentially um you know it's Justin Murphy's project um that he created, a little private paid community. Um you know it's it's we're we're retooling it, seeing exactly what it'll look like in the future, but um Mike and I met in real life at a mansion party um, for that uh, group met up. You know, we had already met before online. Um, and I just think it's a really interesting mix of people. I think, you know, kind of to what you were saying earlier, like, I think, I don't know, we, we, we didn't, we haven't, like, debriefed what exactly we thought all the threads were of, of people, like what, you know, seeing people embodied in real life, like, what things do we think they have? I think one thing is, like, a general kind of willingness to hear people out, even if you disagree, like whether or not you're agreeable or disagreeable, I think like a lot of people just have like a, maybe a certain degree of openness, a certain certain like composition where they're willing to like hear people out, even if they were just going to go tear you down in like 20 seconds. Like it was it was a kind of space where people were willing to like let you talk and kind of assumed that you you had something at least something interesting to say, if not something smart to say. Um, and uh, so. But, uh, you know, so anyway, there's some commonalities there, probably certain, you know, generally people are fairly smart. They're clearly committed because they're willing to pay, you know, you know, pay usually $450 to like enter the community. Um, and, and then, and then there's obviously another, you know, selection bias, like people are willing to travel to like go meet up and, and do that. I think, you know, it's probably also a, a certain thing, although there are many great people who did, who were unable for various reasons to attend. Um, but, 
but I, I think that's, you know, to that point, there's the, uh, just such a wide variety of things that people are interested in and looking to synthesize these things. So there's lots of people who are interested in philosophy. People are deep into crypto. Um, you know, people are like really hardcore Bitcoiners, but like are like really deeply technical and building like cool stuff, not just, you know, kind of standard propaganda stuff that I do, um, but like building cool stuff. And then, um, yeah, so I, I you know, I'm, I'm very proud of that community because I was, I was like an organic early adopter and that's how I got involved in that. Um, and I think it's just a really cool space and I'm very optimistic about the future. And I highly recommend throwing mansion parties uh, if you can choose to throw, but it's gotta be a cool mansion. This is like a really like classy mansion, like just the, the aesthetics are pretty good, but just the idea of being able to like wander through a giant space and you just like happen upon some conversation where people are asking the types of questions that, you know, Mike asks on idea market. Um, you know, I think, I think that's, that's a special thing. And, and I would say just in general, I, like right now I'm feeling, I, I haven't been following as much as many communities online in, in some degrees. Like I, I still am in the periphery, but I'm, I'm not like a, as a part of many of them for a while. I was really hot on like Twitter and kind of like the post rat space. Um, I have lots of friends there, but in general, I'm, I, I'm sure like many people who, who listen to idea market, uh, I'm just like a hyper like novelty seeker. You know, so I, I like, you, like, you know, you're saying all kinds of things that are really interesting to me and I'm super into it. And then it's like, OK, it becomes a little less interesting, like, you know, the bits. I still I'm, I'm friends with all those people and I still like, you know, like to make in-group memes. You know, there's still alpha and in making in-group memes. But I would say that. Um, but uh, but I, but in general, I'm kind of orienting myself. I want to have a, a better mix. So like, you know, um I want to benefit from the online world, as you're kind of saying, James, like I want to make friends online. Um, that's something that I'm very interested in. That's a part of the project with Seeking Tribe is you know, I'm Seeking Tribe. I'm looking for the people who, you know, have enough commonality. You know, we have enough mutual interest that, you know, there's probably something there. Um, but I would say, on the other hand, um, I, I don't want to be uh, as digital as I was like the past two years. Like, I, you know, in the sense that I want to have a balance, I want to be more of like an embodied person. I think that there is a difference in taking some of these relationships offline, even if it is just for a weekend party type of thing. I think your ability to um, have different types of relationships, like Mike, you were talking about earlier, you know, um, if we have too much in common, um, then it's like not that interesting. You know, and that's kind of what I'm talking about with, with some of these Twitter relationships where it's like, okay, we all know the memes, you know, what else is there to say? Um, but like that phenomenon doesn't really exist in, in the same way in person. So like, you know, I connected with this great guy, um, uh, this great, great guy, Jack through, um, Twitter, you know, basically I'd filled out a form for this guy visa that this guy visa put out, um, just about his like, kind of like Twitter friends and, and spaces. And then my friend Jack went and looked and was like, Oh, this guy lives in Rochester and he followed me. And then he was like, yo dude, like I found you through this form. Um, you know, I'm going to come visit my family. Do you want to hang out? And you know, we got coffee. It was like, you know, peak COVID, like you can't go sit, inside anywhere, but we like got coffee and breakfast sandwiches, sat outside on like a 40 degree day about a year ago um, and like just went for a long walk and talked. And we had so many weird niche internet commonalities that it really just, it made like building rapport really easy. And then after we had um, done that, you know, then you're goofing around, you're just saying ridiculous things and like making jokes and like, you know, there's, you know, you, your ideas are one thing, but like, are you fun? 
you know, is also like another another thing. Like, are you are you cool to hang out with? Can you tell a joke? Um, you know, can you can you goof around? Whatever. Do you like to do things? Like, are you really active? Um, you know, I, I'm someone that's like trying to, as I said, trying to be more embodied, trying to do more things in the world now that I have those like opportunities to. I just moved to Austin, Texas. There's so much to do here. It's, it's immense. Um, so I've been more focused on like, you know, how can I spend my time in person now that I'm surrounded by so many cool people and what other kinds of spaces or opportunities can I can I kind of access now that I'm here or now that I'm, you know, willing to fly places to go do do things. So if you're having a mansion party, you also have to invite me uh, and I have to invite Mike. Oh, well, this, this kind of the, the, the chain uh, reaction. But yeah. So, so yeah, sort of non-answer, but those are those are most of what I'm interested in. No, that that's all awesome, and also, of course, you know, can't can't recommend mansion parties highly enough. Specifically, the one that just happened, <laughs> um, I, it was it was really remarkable, and I think it it calls to mind the selection bias thing that you mentioned as well, because there's a lot of proof of work in getting there, and there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of barriers to get in in the first place, at least price wise, and interest wise, and so. It was it was really remarkable, and I think you also hit on um, a potential unifying trait in describing yourself as a novelty seeker. Hmm. Like you had this um, this description of people who are you know generally intellectual, and while while we may not like agree on a lot of the same things, um, there's a sense of uh, openness, as you mentioned, curiosity. Um, I've described myself at times as an epiphany addict. Hmm. Like I'll go down the weird you know, weird Twitter rabbit holes just because I like the feeling of having my map of the world change. And whenever someone can go, Oh, did you know that the Hindenburg was a psyop? And like there was, there had, there just, it had done thousands of missions, but it just happened to blow up on a day where there were tons of press there and like all kinds of, you know, stuff. I just love that. It's just, it's, it's like, it's almost an erotic rush of like, you know, you know what I'm talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And so, like, I, I think that's really cool. And the, you know, the mansion, the base mansion really, you know, kind of nailed that uh, kind of vibe. And just, I must have met 50 people and was not bored by a single one. <laughs> and uh, it just, it, it, it worked really well. So, yeah, I'm definitely bullish on mansion parties in general. I've already been concocting what an idea market related one might look like. And you're definitely on the list. Ooh, I, I would also say, um, you know, the, the, you know, the other part of it. So I'm really big on finding people who share your values online. I'm really big about meeting cool people in safe spaces, blah, blah, blah. All your caveats, be smart um, from the internet. By and large, I'm very fortunate. I haven't had any bad experiences meeting people online. They've all been cool. Even if we don't agree on lots of things, like everyone's been really friendly and, and nice. Um, and then I would say, but like the one caveat, which is kind of in vogue right now, especially for people who are interested, uh, you know, who, who don't like the institutions and want more freedom and are exiting them is people are, you know, really bullish on, you know, buying land somewhere and like all going and moving there like impromptu. Um, I think that there are, there are, I'm friends with people with projects like that and I think they can be cool. Uh, I would hesitate. I would encourage you to, you know, uh, maybe not do that. Um, unless, unless you have, uh, you know, get some experience with some people, get to know them, have an understanding of what it is. Um, in general, I think a better model is like buying up a neighborhood and like a small city. Um, I recommend Rochester, New York, because I'm from there and maybe at some point I'll return. Um, but I would encourage, like, but I think it's a lot easier to go move. Yeah, it's very cold. But I would encourage you to go 
Um, you know, instead, look at a neighborhood, look at a small city, you know, co-locating, relocating, especially if you don't have friends, if you're one of these people who feels alienated, as we kind of mentioned before. Um, I think that can, you know, I think relocating can, can be good, and especially around people who share your values. Um, but don't join a cult. Uh, best way to mitigate not joining a cult is don't move to some random piece of land somewhere with people you don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I couldn't agree more that that's a huge trend. I have I have been historically a, a like someone who wants to do that. Like, in fact, I, I don't know if I told you this, but just up the street from Based Mansion is where my wife and I tried to put a tiny house on like some guy's property, and it didn't end up working out. But like, we had been down that street like a couple of years before, um, B Caves or whatever it is, and. Yeah, it is it is quite difficult and also when when you think about it you don't really want to mix friendship with governance. Mm-hmm. That's just a huge hassle. And so yeah, as I've thought about this more, I'd way rather like everyone move into the same apartment building or something like that and let the landlords do the governance and you know you can all just gripe about it and hang out and have cigars and you don't have to like figure out how to be a micronation and you know that just causes problems. Why introduce all that hassle? So uh, I just want to echo what you're saying and, and you know add add a little more you know, additional color to it. But yeah, um, I think you know you know com- complete you know alignment on the sense of priorities and values there. Absolutely. And so it's, it's really exciting to see all these people moving to Austin. And um, yeah, I think you know there's 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 a great vibe going on in general. Oh, cults. You also mentioned cults. Yeah. Isn't a cult just a great community? Isn't a cult just a community that works a little too well? Like how 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 does, where, where where do you draw the line? Yeah, no, I think it's I think that's a very interesting question. It's uh, right, and uh, there's some bit that's like uh, it was I forget, but there's something you know you know you wait, you actually don't know when you see it. You don't know until you're like you know having sex with someone who you didn't intend to have sex with. I think it's probably like like when I'm saying cults, I don't mean just like people are you know like a, a, a well functioning community where everyone's happy and shares values. I mean like a sex call, like, like a bad call, you know, like there are, I think there are like essentially things that are cults that are good. And it's not until like, you know, people's lives are being destroyed that it's really like what I, what I'm thinking of as a cult. Sure, um, sure. Uh, so, so yeah, no, no disagreement there. I just think it's, you know, it's kind of like a, a risk mitigation question. You know, I'm really, I'm really thinking about it from like kind of a risk standpoint. Um, and like, what are the trade-offs and like benefits versus like, you know, risks or like potential catastrophic costs? Um, and I think like, you know, first, first, if you want to move somewhere to be around values aligned people, you know, figure out what, what city those people are more concentrated in and like what neighborhood, you know, maybe a couple of them live in, start there. Um, and then like, you know, if you have homies, like I, I have friends where if they were like, oh, we're going to go buy some land and we've known each other for like 20 years or whatever. And it's, it's, but it's very much not like, you know, charismatic person finds us on the internet, recruits us to like all throw in this money. And now, like, okay, the first yeah. time we're relocating, we're, like, launching our tiny homes on this, like, property. Um, and, yeah, so I think, you know, but there are many models that are not doing exactly that, that are doing things similar, you know, similar to that or sound vaguely similar. And I'm not talking about those at all. Many cool people working on cool projects. Um, but just be smart. And uh, I just figured I'd mention that just because selection biases, you know, the kind of people who are opting into these things, like, may or may not be the kind of people you want to be governing things with, especially depending on what values you're organizing around. So like, you know, if you're like, you know, if everyone's migrating to some town because it's like known for being like, you know, Orthodox Christian and you all are like opting in to move to this town because of some like 
you know, podcast online, you're probably fine. That's probably okay. You know, like, like, okay, most people are married. It's really focused on marriage. You have strong values. It's just people are like, I want to be surrounded by people who like, like the same practices that I have and have same values. Probably fine. But if you're opting in around something that's like a little crazier and like, you know, just kind of wild and you're like, whatever, it may be what you want, but it may not be what you want. And just, you know, think about it a bit more. No, I think that's, I think that's super salient and, <laughs> and kind of giving some, some guidance on, like what a good a good cult is uh, is incredibly useful not only for this conversation but I think for a lot of a lot of um, the people who might be listening to this because you know we're we're a weird bunch and it's really exciting when we, when we meet people who are similar and have have similar alignment and similar passions and interests and stuff like that and there can be um, There, there can be kind of no upper limit to that kind of uh, sense of sense of community that that can that can build, and I think it's really important to kind of have a vision for what the constructive version of that looks like versus what you know the potentially dangerous one does. And something that I've been thinking about is kind of half baked, but like there's this um, I forget what it is. Uh, maybe you guys don't know what I'm talking about, like people being like, oh, you know, the rule of law and like strict kind of law is like the constraint that allows like the radical creativity of like entrepreneurship and kind of like markets to flourish. And like, similarly, I think there's, you know, although this one can kind of go either way, but you know, some of it's it's about like risk management again, like, you know, um, what is sustainable, what works in the long run, um, what works most of the time or what works like enough that you'd risk your one life doing it. Um, and I think that the, um, you know, so another one is like people kind of t- like, you know, part of the theory of like Bitcoin is like, oh, we need a really strong money, the hardest money possible. And this is actually going to be a revolution um, for the world because we'll have this like very strong base that then all this radical stuff can build off of. And you, so you kind of want this like, I forget what the term is, but like they talk about this in like information theory where you essentially want this like really strong kind of consistent layer that then like enables all this other thing. And I've been kind of thinking about that um, with relationships, but I think also scales to community. It's like if you're kind of like, you know, wild, interesting person who's trying to do something ambitious, you know, you have some novel theory, you're working on some project or, or whatever, like it probably is very helpful to have like, you know, a strong kind of like foundation in your, in your like personal life and in your like relationships, you know? So like, you know, maybe you like, oh, you're kind of chaotic. Like maybe you don't want to be in a call with a bunch of people who are all really chaotic. Maybe you want to live in like a very grounding kind of like structured environment um, or at least to some extent, like maybe where you sleep or like where things are organized so that then, you know, like your your basics are kind of formed or you want to have a strong partnership with someone who, you know, you can see yourself spending like decades of your life with because that can kind of provide this foundation that allows you to like flourish in in the ways in which you're like, more dynamic or like volatile. Um, so just something to think, think, think about. I, so yeah, I don't remember what the terms are for that. That's another thing I kind of want to like write about. Um, but yeah, was, creative, creative constraints or something like that. Like, yeah, I know, I know it's, yeah. Let me see. I feel like there's, I think I email this to myself. Anyway, you can, uh, if you have a thought or what you're thinking. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I do think that's a, a really good advice. Um, I want to ask one last thing here. Yes. And, 
the concept of risk management has kind of come up a lot, which I, I like and I'm a little obsessed with because I do oh. markets all about that. Oh, just, sorry, can I? Yeah, yeah sense. please. No, go for it. High entry. So the kind of idea is high entropy systems and actors thrive with a low entropy car, uh, carrier. So it's kind of like you want this like low entropy base layer that then enables this kind of like high entropy uh, entropy like agent to like thrive. Um, so so that was that was the framing that that was um, from this book Knowledge and Power by George Gilder, which is really interesting because it's about information um, flows as as like value generation in itself. Um, so I have to, that's like one, I was listening to the audiobook. It's something I'm going to have to like go through probably multiple times because it was really dense. But I thought that might be an interesting idea to kind of float here. Nope, I think that's awesome. I have written that down using ye old fashioned pen and post-it notes. So that yeah. is that that's going to get some consideration. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask. Risk management has come up a lot. Uh, I'm a you know big fan for idea market reasons and all that stuff. And also, it's a very kind of Talebian concept. I'm wondering, have you seen how, how have you seen risk management as like a guiding principle or a priority in in community building? Is, is that something that you've seen made explicit? Interesting. Um, yeah. Yes, I think I think there are ways. I mean, I don't know how um, how interesting they are. You know, so like it's, it's kind of a. I mean, so one other than like the kind of like don't move to like land like you know cult risk mitigation. Um, but I would say another one is, um, you know, kind of like, oh, if you find yourself in a group and like some, and people are saying, like talking to you about like doing illegal things or, you know, saying things that are like really kind of like crazy, like don't do those, leave, you know, you're probably about to be entrapped by like, you know, like convinced to do some sort of stupid thing that you shouldn't be doing. Um, I think so. I think there are certain like principles and, and, and I think it goes along with, um, right, selection bias being something that you craft and something that you cultivate. So, like, if you don't want certain types of people, you want to, like, create structures and branding and things like that that, like, alienate them or, like, polarize them um, for, for community building because um, things can uh, kind of, like, devolve. And then the other thing is, like, if someone is engaging in antisocial behavior, you want to address that very quickly. Um, and, and depending on, again, it depends on like what we mean by community here. Um, but in many contexts, if it's selling online, like you probably just want to like, be like, Hey, sorry, this isn't a good fit for you. Like time to go. And I think people are hesitant to do that. And especially just because a lot of things are so focused on being hyper inclusive. Um, but like being hyper inclusive also means being a space that people want to be in. Um, so I actually am like very much in favor of like controlling your perimeter you know, with your organization, it's like an opt-in thing, you know, um, people can decide if they want to join, we can decide if someone wants, if we want someone to be a member of it. Um, and I think caring about that a lot is important. And, and that's, you know, most of the risk comes from people. Like risk is like people doing things that are potentially um, very disastrous for your organization. Um, depending on what you're doing, there may be other things, but just in general, like the question is always like, or a question that you should always ask because asking questions and answering them is free. Um, is, is, you know, like, how does this thing fail? How does this thing die? What are, like, our big risks? How does this go horribly wrong? Um, and, you know, don't don't live in fear, um, but, you know, at least ask yourself those questions and think about it um, because, you know, you can, and ask people who, ask people who have done it before, especially people who have failed. How did your thing fail? Um, you know, is also a good question. Um, why aren't you doing that anymore? What happened? Um, 
So yeah, I guess that's that's my little piece of advice. Awesome, awesome. Where, uh, yeah, whereabouts can we find your your work, man? Uh, so I am at Grant A. Dever on Twitter, uh, and I uh, own www.seekingtribe.com. Uh, that's where I post my blogs, and then I also own www.grantdever.com. And uh, yeah, you can. I have good SEO because my name is is uh, rare, so I didn't do anything, and I post a lot, which I'm sure helps. Um, so you can you can find me on the internet if you want to look for me. Uh, we'll, 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 uh, yeah, we'll Great. we'll put those uh, we'll put those links in the description. Granted, online. Um. <laughs> cool, man. Right. Sounds good, man. Thanks, Thanks for hanging out, and yeah, that was for uh, a lot on. of fun. Like, I feel way way less ignorant about about community stuff than I did two hours ago. So. Really? You know, okay, was, that's good. Yeah, good. Yeah, if, yeah, so if, I got the download. Yeah. If anything, yeah. If anything, like particularly stands out to you, or like whatever, if it like sticks in your brain, um, let me know. I definitely have some notes of like things that I essentially need to write on, especially because I do have this kind of like email based course thing. Um, I just have been like, you know, busy with a, a bunch of things.